Well, welcome to the Who is God podcast. I am Thaddeus Funk, your host, and I welcome all my listeners to uh, to this journey as we continue to understand a little bit more about who God is through each of these uh, each of my guests coming in and sharing their stories. As we start to see the character of God and how He interacts in people's lives, um, I think we've heard enough stories now that we're all you could be pretty well convinced that there is a God, that He does exist, that He is interested in the lives of men. And that he uh, he interacts, um, and so I've got one of those stories today. I'm super. I'm actually really really excited because um, I know the work. Um, uh, I've talked with our guest uh, numerous times, and I've gotten to know him fairly well. And and I know as I as I, we've gotten to know him, I know that he believes that God has shown up in his life in a lot of mighty ways. Um, and I'm excited to have him share some of that with you, the guest. So. With that, my guest today is uh, Carlos Gomez. Carlos, welcome. Oh, thank you. Thank you for being here. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Carlos, um, one of the first things people might uh, might pick up if they've got a trained ear is that uh, it sounds like you have an accent, that English is maybe not your first language. Um, so tell us a little bit about, about yourself. Where are you from? I am originally from Brazil, grew up there in San, the state of Sao Paulo. Uh, went to vet school uh, in the state of uh, Minas Gerais, where I met my wife. And my family's, my, all my family's from Sao Paulo. Uh, we came, I came here in 2010 for graduate studies, master's, PhD training, veterinary studies, and uh, moved across multiple states and have been in the U.S. for almost uh, 14 years now. 14 years. Okay, that's that's uh, not your whole life. That's actually probably a small part of your life. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's a what I like to tell people is that it's uh, having an identity crisis because it's uh, a third of my life, but it's half of my adult life if you consider. Right. So it's uh, I kind of uh, don't live in the Brazilian lifestyle anymore, but also haven't picked up fully on the American lifestyle either. But I, uh, I'm a blend of the two. A blend of the two. Yes. Yeah. So. You grew up in Brazil, in São Paulo. Yeah, and not not the city, but the state. Yeah. Okay. So, what? Uh, tell me a little bit about what what growing up was like. Were you in? Were you, did you live in town? Did you live on a farm? What? I I lived in a small town, so kind of very small town, five thousand people in Brazil, with uh, my mom, my dad, two siblings, my sister and my brother who are younger, uh, and uh, I had my grandmothers, uncles, cousins all in the same city or most most of them and kind of a, a block away from each other. So we kind of grew up playing together and all all of us kind of interacting a lot. Right. So a big family. Yeah. Big, big family growing up. And so what did your uh, what did your what was your parents' livelihood? My father, uh, he didn't have a degree, but he used to he be doing driving trucks and working with animals, farm animals, uh, livestock, uh, and the like. My mother has a lawyer degree, but she worked in a bank. Okay. So in town, they both had regular jobs? Yes. They both have regular jobs in town and would be home all, every day. Every day. So yeah. is that, you know, in America, we're very much an eight to five or nine to five, eight to six kind of kind of thing, Monday through Friday. Was that similar for you? Yeah, very similar. And, uh, Although my father would be working on Saturday as well, my mother was not. 
And on Sunday, it was a rest, a day of rest for all of us. It was a day of rest. What, why was that? What, what instigated that day of rest for you? That day of rest, I think, comes from the tradition of the Roman Catholicism in, in, in our family. And, and that influence in there uh, uh, brought the family together on Sunday and to rest from work as well. Okay. So did you grow up then Catholic? Yeah, I grew up growing, going to the Roman Catholic Church in town. And uh, up until the age I was, prior to going to college, up to 14, 15, as I went to college when I was 16, 17 is when I left home. So what was that experience like for you? Uh, going to the... Growing up in the, in the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah, the, it's, uh, you know, the, the Roman Catholic Church, much like the Protestant side, it has a, a huge variation. So in my city, it was, it was a nice experience, but I never had... Uh, Getting directly in the subject, I, 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 I heard passages of the Bible, uh, teaching in, uh, theology from the Roman Catholic Church, but I never, I never, I didn't know Christ personally and I didn't know who God is. So, so early on, your relationship with God, I think what I'm hearing you say is that it was, it was a lot of knowledge. Yeah. Um, but not a lot of real interaction or, yeah. Dead in the interaction, and, and although I would participate in mo- many activities, uh, up to an age I was, I was very intrigued and and but I didn't have anybody to guide me on understanding who God is and uh, the the potential of a personal relationship with God through Christ. So was that a was 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 church something you just did on Sundays or did you was did that play itself out in the home at all? No, uh, church was a Sunday deal, and there were a time, t- at times there were some youth groups, but uh, very minor. Uh, in our home, the, the name of our father our, in heaven would be mentioned, but there wasn't that lived out, lived out in, in, in the family. Um, and, and part of my history or story of life is the brokenness of our family. Mm-hmm. And so... You're growing up. Um, was that something like as a kid? What kind of things did you do? I mean, was was oftentimes I would picture you probably played a lot of soccer. Um, what else? Or was that the thing? What did you do growing up? I I enjoyed studying a lot, and uh, and that's something that my mother helped me as well. She pushed me really hard on that, and I enjoyed it. But I I played soccer as well, a lot of soccer. And I liked I liked uh, going to the swimming swimming pool as well. So the, we had a, a, a large swimming pool in town that people would go. So right. So you studied a lot. What what was school like for you? Was that a, is it a public school? Was it a Catholic school? No, school there at the time. Do you have two options: the public school, state school, and the private school? There's some decline in the in the education in the public school in Brazil, and it varies. And then my mother always thought that she had to invest in my education. So she worked really hard, uh, my, my dad as well, to some extent, to invest uh, on my education. So I went to private school, not uh, not with any religious bent, uh, but just a private school. Just a private school? Yes. Not a, not a parochial of no. Catholic? Okay. Huh. So what did you, uh, was there, what was your favorite subject? What What kind of interested you? Yeah, biology and history. Those are my two major, uh, and the math would come in third, but biology and history, yes. yes yeah. I like those very much. And also there is the influence of the teacher. When you get that teacher to 
connect with you. Yeah. That speaks volumes for how you love the subject as well. So did you have a, uh, one or two of those or multiple yes. of those teachers? Uh, biology and history was fantastic throughout. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So life growing up for you, was it pretty easy as a kid? What was that like? Yeah, we never lacked anything in terms of having food, clothing, shelter, sheltering. The, uh, never lacked anything. There was difficult. I, I, as I grew up, I saw the financial difficulties that my parents went through, but we, we had all we needed. Um, never more than we needed, but we had what we needed. What we were provided for. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I presume, you said your mom had a, had a law degree. Um, yes. But worked in a bank. Yeah. Um, obviously going through the effort to get a law degree education would have been, you know, pretty important making sure that you guys, that you and your siblings had that same thing. Yes. In, in the mindset, I believe that when you don't, you know, when you, when Christ is not centered and you're trying to look for ways to make in life, education is, even with Christ, of course, education is a big deal and it was a big deal for us because it was a way, a way to a better life, mm -hmm. so to speak. Right. And so while you were comfortable, there was still that idea that you could even have a, a better life, a more comfortable life. Yes. Got it. My mother was always imprinting on me the idea that if I studied it, if I uh, went and did a professional degree, she wanted me to go to medical, medical school. And um, uh, at times that was a, a bit forceful and uh, character disturbing, but, but, but then she was okay with me going to vet school as well. And, uh, and as long as I went to a public school that we, because we could not afford it, right. it was okay. As long as you went to a public university. A public university, yes. Yeah. So was that, you know, here a lot of times, even going to public universities, a lot of students will incur a fair amount of debt um, mm -hmm. or there's an, at least an expense there that the family has to come up with. Um, is that the same thing in, in Brazil? Uh, no, we're very blessed that, well, you're going to have to come up with the money for the cost of living, which in, depends on, depending on the city can be very expensive. Is Sao Paulo, the city can be expensive, but I was in a, uh, mid-sized town, mid-sized city in, in the state of Minas Gerais where the cost of living at the time was not very expensive. So I never had extra, but I had what I need to, to go by. And there was some, sometimes of difficulty, but not having to pay for university, it was huge. It was huge. I bet. I bet. Especially because there were you weren't the only one in the family that did. Your siblings go to college. My all my all, all all three of us went to college. My sister went to dental college as well, and she didn't pay for it. And my brother was the one who paid for. for he went to study agronomy, and Big then brother. yes. And he did pay. Yes. Was that because he chose a college that? I think at the time, you know, he was hassling to find a, a path and also my mom was in a stage that she was more comfortable to help as well which okay. i am i'm i'm very happy that she was in that stage to that she was able to help him right you're not jealous of your younger brother then is what you're saying no no yeah. not at all so did you have a good relationship with your mom growing up uh with my mom was always it was it was hard because i know she she loved me and um and i know she loves me she's still alive uh, but she had to push me really hard and, and now growing up and being older, I can look back and see what she was going through in her marriage. Uh, so that it's now I have a lot more compassion and understanding to, you know, how I had to face that bitterness and anger, uh, at times. Right. And so 
you obviously have a relationship with God today and you got that somewhere. Did your mom have a relationship with God? Is that, was there any influence there? Uh, nope, not at all. There is a, there is a verbal recognition that uh, there is a God, but there is no relationship uh, at all. Although in my family, there are some people who have, uh, but my mother and my father, um, well, to this day, they don't have a personal relationship with Christ. Right. So what was your relationship with your dad like growing up? With my dad, it was it's uh, it is kind of a bittersweet because I my dad was um, he was having his problems in the marriage and uh, with you know um, uh, alcohol and stuff and and and, uh, and uh, but I always chased after him you know seeking recognition seeking approval seeking his presence in my life and then. And, and and I had my mother, but uh, but she was facing all those things as well. So then, you know, there's stages here. But as I grew up, then I, there was a time that I stopped chasing it, and then I just accepted that it was what it was, and right. I took what it what was given to me. And how was what was that like? That was really hard. Actually, it was really hard. More more so than I think, because at the time I kind of. You know when you hide those feelings and you hide those emotions and you don't have anybody to talk to, and then you seek on other people. You start growing up. You start seeking on other people, uh, 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 the, the figure of a dad, mm-hmm. and and you start seeking on other people the the calmness, the gentleness, the mentorship that you never had. So it was really hard. Although I know he was protective, he would die for us, right? But in the ordinary days. The presence, that dialogue, that was pretty much absent. So you had at some point in time some conflict with your dad? Yes, we've had multiple conflicts over time, especially because of the lifestyle he was living uh, um, at times. The, the more I, as I grew older and I started picking up on that and understanding what's going on and seeing uh, what kind of life he's, he's living, um, we started having conflicts, and then I grew in disrespect for him. Mm. Uh, I had the respect of the hierarchy in that family, but the disrespect for the figure of a dad, the disrespect for the uh, the friend that I never had, that I wanted to have. The relationship. The relationship. So that was not, so that, them, them, and what is in, as you ask me this question, what it reveals to me right now in my heart right away is that, I really, I, I was hiding those feelings, hiding, never finding anybody to talk to, and then and growing in bitterness and resentment towards him. So you were starting as as you got older, you started to feel more and more isolated and alone in what you were experiencing. Um, yes, but, but it sounds like you you wanted your dad to be there to walk to share that with, mm. to walk that with you, and he wasn't. I want my dad to be the first person I could call to to talk to about something and not get judged, get corrected, get to get get a different perspective. But I, I want him to be that presence in my life that I could talk to. So as I leave to college and that age of, uh, you know, uh, 16, that I go out to study and go to college in age 17, at, then it's when his presence as a dad as a person to be with me, uh, began to disappear, dissipates very quickly. 
So as I, as I think about this a little bit and listening to kind of what you're sharing, um, you, your dad, obviously you've said didn't have a relationship, but doesn't have a relationship with God at this point. Um, how did that affect your view of God as you were growing up? Uh, my, my view of God was, uh, pretty much of a judge, a judgmental God, uh, who is looking at you to correct you, to discipline you and to punish you for, for the things you're doing. In very harsh ways. Yeah, very harsh ways. Yes. Was that, was that reflective of who your real dad was? Yes. In ways like I couldn't, I couldn't put a, no, attribute all to that. But all the models I've seen of um, fatherhood around me were not good models. And so it was not just my dad impacting me. It was the models around as well. Then I said, well, this this is, you know, and as you grow aware of those and you see the hurt in the kids, you say, well, this is not good. But but it fully began resonating with me. You also want to begin leaving home and meeting other people. You started to realize that, it, I, and actually, let me back up here a little bit. It sounds like you're starting to to correlate somehow what you see a father with, with in your case, the son, yes. and and other fathers that that's kind of sort of who God is. Yes, I suppose maybe because through through growing up in the Catholic Church, we talk about God as a father, and yes. and so not seeing examples of God for who He really is. This is the example of fathers, and you kind of correlate those a little bit. Yes. And, you know, without uh, uh, exposing my father's life, I, as I grew up, I also got exposed to pornography at, at home. And, uh, and in seeing the way women was treated in my family, wives, mm -hmm. as, uh, as an object many times, I grew up with that kind of personality as well, that that kind of uh, well lack of character, but you know, going towards using women as a as a young adult, just to seek to you know seek pleasure, sexual sexual pleasure, or you name it. Not not knowing any anything different, mm -hmm. you you adopted the value of of your culture, what your family culture was, is is this is what is acceptable, this is what's normal. Yeah, I, I adopted that, and uh, and then you end up. Uh, well, for me, as 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 I got to that age of fourteen, fifteen, is when I was departing from the Roman Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. uh, I said, well, "Once I'm done with this here, I'm leaving. I'm gonna do whatever I want." So then, college was very revealing to me how I, as I look back, how I was not prepared mentally and emotionally for college at all, uh, and I had I was. Uh, far away from home as well, could not come back. I would come back like twice a year, so I had no support in that front. So then I, you know, uh, college was a year, years of studying hard, mm -hmm. but also partying hard uh, anytime I could. Work hard, play hard. Yeah. So um, it sounded like, you know, you, you were talking about starting to, to view women as just an object something to use for your pleasure. You've also talked a little bit about a little bit about um, having that desire to go through life with somebody else, you know, to have, to be able to share what you're experiencing, what you're feeling, some of those emotions, and even just to process them, to talk them out. Um, sounds like your dad wasn't that. Your mom, not so much either. 
Um, and I know a lot of times, a lot of guys will start to f- try and fill that void with relationships or with sex for that matter. W- would you identify with that? Yes, I would. I would identify with uh, feeling up, you know, seeking, seeking to have sex or seeking friendships. And also in friendships, I could not develop good friendships because I put a lot of weight on that because I once I got into a relationship with anybody, I wanted the, the, that to be reciprocated. And, and if it, that relationship is not mutual and it's not developing, then I, I would get frustrated. And as I look back, the multiple times I got in that spot, it was because I was seeking something I never had. Mm. Um, one thing I would like to back up and mention is that uh, I had the influence of my two grandmothers who were also trying to, you know, and point me in the right direction. They they knew Christ. Um, my mother was trying to point me in the right direction by avoiding uh, certain kinds of behaviors and certain kind of see. She always condemned me for doing those things, but but a conversation was never present. When I see if I as I go look back right now and I say, uh, who are two people who you'd like to be with in that environment growing up that you say I had peace, you know you had shalom. That mm-hmm. you could go there and say that's safe. That's that's the place I want to be. It was the the person who has already died. I called him a grandfather, but he was never my biological grandfather. But he was in the neighborhood, and I could go there and I would have peace. Oh, that place! I could, I, I did not want to leave that place. Anytime I was there, having lunch, dinner, talking, it was it was just amazing. And with my mo- my father's mother as well, it was a place that. Uh, you know, when you're loved without judgment, uh, and now looking back, now that I have a relationship with Christ, says, I'm, I'm loved unconditionally. I'm loved for who I am. That I sit down with that person. That person is not looking at my life and judging all my behavior or anything at all. She just wants to be with me. Hmm. And I've had that, but I didn't know where that was coming from. Right. So this uh, this neighborhood grandpa, you know, I think some of our listeners are, we have listeners who are, have a relationship with God, and they're looking to try and introduce God to others. We have some listeners, I'm sure, who don't know who God is and are like, this whole thing seems kind of crazy to me. Um, but a little bit about that. Um, so there was this guy in the neighborhood. Tell me a little bit about this, that you you felt safe there, this grandpa. Yeah, he was a friend of the family, and he had this uh, this heart for the kids in the neighborhood. All the kids, uh, the kids, the few kids that in the neighborhood he enjoyed having in his home, and it was a safe place. Uh, we we all had an interaction. We knew his character. Uh, he used to be in the military in Brazil, actually, uh, had retired and, and was in that city. And uh, his name is Elias, uh, and um, and uh, he was just uh, a very organized down-to-earth, simple, straight shooter, but in a way that was always gentle, mm-hmm. which is incredible. So just think back on that. Right. In the midst of the chaos that I was living through, my, my adultery in my family and alcohol fights, uh, physical abuse, or verbal abuse, all of that, that you could find a safe harbor uh, even for an hour or so. And, and and it was incredible. What was it about him that you think that that put him in a place, but gave him a, a heart for the kids, and put him in a place to 
be that safe place for the, for you and other kids in the neighborhood? I think he also had withstood some heartbreaks in the past with perhaps marriage or you know uh, kids being far away and not having grandkids near him. Right. That gave him a heart for that. Hmm. Uh, kids, you know, his kids living in another state. Right. So that gave him a heart and, uh, yeah. So he had the heart and the desire to connect with his own kids and grandkids, yeah. but since they weren't close, he, uh, he poured that affection out on, on the rest of the, the yes. neighborhood. Yeah. That's awesome. Yes. That's really awesome. And do you know, did he, did he know Christ? You know, uh, to this day, I don't know because of that back then when he died right after I got married, which was 20, 2011 or so, I, uh, I, I, he was he could not go to the Catholic church, the Roman Catholic Church at the time because he got married with another person and there was some you know some of the uh, because of their uh, understanding it that he would not go uh, but he and also that damaged him uh, I know that he he wanted to be in church and you got to think that at that time you're talking about a small town not right. a lot of churches. Protestant churches are not even a, a choice here. Right. So, yeah, I, I know that he had a heartbreak on that as well. Being rejected from the church. Yeah. Wanting to, having that desire to yeah. connect in the church and with yeah. God, I'm sure. Mm. But I can't, I can't, I can't say for yeah. sure. Right. And your, but your grandma, your dad's mom. Yeah. Uh, where you also said you felt safe. Yes. You said she definitely is. Oh, she definitely is a believer in Christ. Yes, she lives to this day, and she withstood some heartbreaks as well. My grandparents, both my grandparents died, uh, died at, when I was born, right when I was born. Hmm. And that's very important that you're touching, touching that subject, because, you know, once you have your grandparents die, and if your parent, your father is not, ab, is not present, then you lost two generations of men figures in your life. Right. And And that is... That's not easy to overcome on your own. So, yeah, yeah. I I come from a situation where my dad was absent. Um, his dad, I we crossed paths a little bit as a kid growing up, but he wasn't at all by any means a father figure. Um, and then my mom's grandpa, uh, he was around, and there were there were definitely points where he was a he was an excellent example, um, but had gone through some things in his life where. That um, that mentorship, that guidance, um, he just refused to give. I think because he had given and, and had been told he'd done wrong, done it poorly and wrong, and he just uh, he didn't feel safe to do that again, and and he'd just go figure it out on your own. It was pretty much kind of so. So I feel that a little bit, and and then having to to struggle to be a good husband and and to be a good father, Oof. not having an example that's hard, really hard. And I'll, I have to say this to you as well that as, as it's a it's a paradox because as I'm growing up and seeing women as an as object, as an object, I am also highly influenced by women in my life because I have my two grandmothers, my mother, my aunts. They're all pouring on me to help me get an education, to help me succeed professionally. It's uh, but that that them father figure, and as I am a husband and a father right now. I look at that as, oh, it's hard. And without Christ, it's impossible. But, right. but even walking with the Lord, it's, it's really hard still because you don't have models. Right. And we you need, don't have shepherds. 
Right. We need more models um, and more guys willing to to put themselves out there as a model, um, especially for other other men, whether it be in the church or in the neighborhood, because um, boys and men need that today. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you grew up in a family, a little bit of the Catholic Church, so you have kind of an idea that there there might be a God. If there is a God, you kind of have this idea probably not worth having much to do with because he's if you're you're not measuring up, <clears throat> you're not doing. Obviously, you're hearing from places that some part of your lifestyle um, is probably not super acceptable to God. So if you do encounter him, he's going to come down disciplined and harsh, and you know. Kind of a just uh, stay out of out of out of his eyesight, out of his presence. Is that kind of where you were in life? Yes, uh, he's up there. I'm down here. Um, I can't come to his presence because I'm. I know my conscience. I'm not doing well, and uh, I was told that I need to measure up. Uh, well, I might as well abandon it. Mm-hmm. So you're in college. In college, I I had no desire to pursue God whatsoever. But I was not working against as well. It's like I was just, okay, I'm going to... I'm kind of a, kind of obsessed with the things I'm doing at times. So I got obsessed with the schooling and the te- and the and learning. And, uh, and, um, and I said, uh, you know, I got to study hard here and finish well in college and, and try to get a job and try to move on in my life. Doing some things... Uh, you know, life skills that you're being successful. Yeah. But also you were still struggling a little bit. You talked about with pornography, about trying to fill that void um, with relationships, with sex, with, you know, that kind of stuff. Where was, did, was there a lot of internal struggle at that point for you? Yes, it, it was, there was, there was kind of a, a, a two sides to, to me, the side that was working and I failed in school. So I cheated in college into tests and whatnot, but I failed that way. But I was working hard, giving myself away, studying as much as I could, doing my best in that front to finish vet, vet, the vet school and doing trainships and all of that. So there was that side of me that people highly respected. But, but I always knew on the inside, there's the other side that you don't know. Mm. And... Uh, and, in, and I, I made masses uh, in seeking women in college in the place where I was in college. Uh, and, but, but a lot of the, my, my destructive behavior, even uh, uh, with homosexuality, was back home. Back home was, when I went back home is where my, uh, let's say, my destructive side of me flourished, so mm. to speak. It was, it was like a place where... That influence would uh, somehow I would set myself free, drink alcohol as well, and, and just uh, let's play hard. Hmm. Just get whatever you could out of life. Yeah. In those moments, I was there. But outside of that place, I would seek to do better and to be a lot more responsible. It's amazing because I was respected for one thing, but, but the full character was never known. Because you kind of kept that hidden, yes. Kept your kept your lives separated, yes, so to speak. And and there is nothing hidden in my life. So I, when I was dating my wife, uh, I was uh, betraying her as well, and she didn't know. Hmm. All before marriage, right? So I was kind of living that life that was modeled in front of me, in sure. a way. 
Because you you were kind of doing what your dad did. Is that what yeah, you're saying? Yeah, in a way, without uh, without uh, physically abusing my uh, my girlfriend at the time, who is my wife now. Uh, but uh, on the other front, uh, yes, yeah. So modeling what you'd seen, yeah, just kind of it adopted the values that were played out. Whether or not your your mom or dad held those necessarily values, that was certainly the values they were living out. Yeah, and that was um, so. That was just kind of what what you did. Yes, and I would side with my mom as well and try to be protective of her. But you know, there's only so much that a kid can do, and right, so much pressure as well. So, how many years? How many years have you been married? I have been married since 2011 now. Since 2011, so 22 years. No, since uh, we we we're or 12 been, years. 12, 12 years. years. We've been right. together since 2004. My the worst years of my life in terms of betrayal and, and going to do all I wanted in terms of sex and all that kind of, was when I left college and I began to work. So now you get this guy who left college, who is respected professionally, and then you give that guy money and to travel around. Uh, that was like a gun pointed to myself. Hmm. So I, I really I, that's when I did most of the damage as well in terms of uh, I was having at times relationships with multiple women. Uh, while I was having a solid, solid, if you will, relationship with my future wife. So that, that's about 2008, 2009. Mm. So uh, you'd graduated college. Graduated college. Now yeah. you're professional. Yes. Extra, extra respect. Yeah. But also the with the cash, the ability to do pursue your mm. your your deeper, darker side a little more. That's right. And um, uh, with the with Nobody to see, right? Or, or so I thought. Nobody would see. Nobody would know. Yeah. Or so you thought. What What do you mean by that? Because, uh, you know, as I know right now, our father, he knows our lives. Yeah. And uh, he knows all the details of our lives. And when we're doing that and, and going against uh, the love that he has for us, the life, the perfect life that he's designed for us, which obviously is not going to happen in this side. But, but, but then once I realize, well... Wow, this loving father was always there hmm. watching, uh, seeking me, waiting for me to respond to that love, respond to, to Christ and accept Christ. And, and I, was, I was even judgmental of uh, uh, evangelical Christians. I would despise them. Why is that? Uh, because uh, it's, it, it is, there was some racism in my life as well from that family background all of that and being a Roman Catholic in the in the uh, small small town in Sao Paulo and the white background there was some uh, no, don't come to me with that that's that's just uh, that's just you guys do do your stuff but don't come to me with that that's not the if you want to be right you got to be a Roman Catholic but I wasn't one I didn't know even what it is what it was what it means to be one at that time right so, but there was that judgment, and I grew up seeing that modeled in front of me as well. Hmm. And so you you mentioned a moment ago that that giving you that prestige of a graduate, a college, a university graduate, and a career, and that 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 was like putting a gun to yourself. Yeah, because uh, because no, now I have the doorway to do the stuff I want to do. While people are respecting me, but I on the dark here I can do that stuff. It's kind of a, it's kind of a, I've I've I had the sense that I I was empowered mm-hmm. because I 
because I was respected, let's say, intellectually. Right. Uh, but on the personal side, I was, you know, I was just broken. And just doing inside broken because I, I didn't, I, I actually, I knew it was, it was wrong and I, I knew it wouldn't go anywhere. And, and that was reviewed when I, when I, when I came to, to marry my wife. And the day I married my wife, it was incredible what happened. Right, right. I want to get to that. Yeah. But let's talk a little bit about the brokenness. But you, with the imagery of, a, of putting that gun to yourself, doing more damage to yourself, more brokenness? Yes, more damage to myself because I, I, and I, I, I somehow I preached it to myself that I, I could have fun before I got married uh, while I was dating my beloved wife. And um, the idea that it was that it was okay, or yeah. or maybe even appropriate to sow your wild seeds before you got married. Yes, that's right. Um, what kind of damage did that cause? Uh, and, you, and I and I asked this. Yes, um, I asked this, Carlos, because I know there 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 are listeners who are going to identify with you, but maybe they can't put words to what they're experiencing, yeah. but but they're experiencing something similar. And there's also some of our listeners who don't have a clue because they've not been through that. And so for both of them, one, let's help give some language to those who, who share that, that experience. But also let's give uh, help paint a picture for those who don't know what you're talking about. Uh, the brokenness comes from not having peace whatsoever or being in environments that you'd say, I know that people here know what I've done and I'm not at peace here. And then you'd avoid conversations You'd avoid meaningful relationships, or you. Uh, there's certain subjects that will trigger you because you know I've 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 been in that hypocrisy. I've I've done that. I, I just did it yesterday, and then and then you're leaving a superficial kind of a world with relationships that are not meaningful enough because nobody is talking truth in your life. Inside, I'm kind of a. What was uh, that? What are those feelings like? Is that yeah, like insecurity? Insecurity, uh, insecurity and pride at the same time. Pride because, you know, then I would, I would, uh, go to the intellectual side, to the professional side to kind of, uh, cover up and to protect myself. I would always go there. But also the insecurity of, uh, just be that person who wanted to finally say, look, I am tired of trying hard to be a good person and not, I'm not. I'm trying to betray you. I want to tell you the truth. I, but I'm afraid of losing you. Uh, I want to tell my parents the truth, but I'm afraid, afraid I'm going to be judged. I want to tell people the truth, but I am ashamed. Uh, I want to tell people the truth, but I am a, a brokenhearted and don't know even how to begin. Uh, and, and I don't have a person in my life who can talk to me. Hmm. Lonely, condemned. Because you didn't, you didn't need to have those conversations to feel the shame, to feel the condemnation, to feel the judgment, oh. to feel the betrayal. You, you felt all those things because of the situation. Felt all those things in, in the presence of my wife uh, back then, my girlfriend. I felt it. Mm. It was. I was never free to love her. I was never free to receive her love. I was never free to look at her eyes and say, "I'm the man you you desire." I'm the man you met. I'm the man that uh, that you know me. You couldn't. You couldn't. Even if she was loving you at the moment, you couldn't receive the love mm -hmm. because of all this brokenness, pain, heartache, guilt. 
You couldn't even look her in the eyes. No. To see that she loved you. No, I couldn't. Mm. And uh and 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 knowing that it was uh it it would break me because I, I I know I I know who I was and I know who she was and I know she's heading to wanting to get married with me and uh, trusting that I am going out there to build uh a life for us. Mm. And um uh, and I was modeling what was I was living what was modeled in front of me and and in certain points uh was this you know it's a bit disgusting actually to that that was celebrated or that I was it was never spoken against. I wish that my dad came to me and said, you know, let me tell you the truth here. Mm. I've done that. Stop right now, boy. Otherwise, you're going to destroy your life. You're going to destroy, you're going to drag a lot of people along, along with you. Oh, how I wish that had happened. If somebody had told you. Yeah, somebody came to me and said, stop it. Stop it. Stop all of it. Mm. Right and, now. And yet, one day, you did stop. Yes, I did. How did that day come about? I told you, I preached the message to myself that once I get married, that, that would stop. So as I'm walking in the Roman Catholic Church to get married, uh, I I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know how to say anything. I But I, before I stepped inside the church, I can remember as if it were today, I said, today this stops. A new man comes out of this place. He drew a line. Drew a line right there. And today, while looking back, I just see the grace of God empowering me in that moment. And uh, and then we got married on Saturday. The priest who had been an evangelical pastor told us, come back here on Monday. i got to talk to you guys. And then I came came back on Monday. My wife and I sat in front of him. It's amazing because I can't remember what he said, and she can't. You can remember, but she can't. No, not at all. And what he said, I took to heart right away because it matched what I had experienced on Saturday on that church. On Monday, he told me, you guys got to leave this country if you if you can. I know you're going to study. Leave it if you can. Don't come back because your families will destroy your marriage. I took that to heart. That was a dynamite to my heart. It was a, it was like a straight arrow because you remember I have I know who I was. Right. And it was like it was like God was speaking through that man to me saying go to another direction. So you were at this point where you were broken. Yeah. You knew you were broken. You knew you wanted something better. You haven't said it specifically, but I but I'm I'm inferring that you felt like you weren't worthy of your wife's love. That's right. You weren't worthy of what she was able to give to you. That's right. But yet you wanted to be worthy. Yes. Didn't know how. Yes. And did the only thing you could was just say, I'm drawing a line in the sand. Here it is. I'm done. But I'm not confident and courageous enough to tell her the truth of who of the person she has married. So she married a liar. And so I'm assuming then you're, you now are going to double down and do everything you can, put all your efforts to try and be the man that she thought she was marrying, 
the man that you thought she deserved, even though you knew you weren't that guy. Yes. Now I'm, I have a mindset. If you know me, as you know me a little bit, I'm very intense. If, and once I put in my mind that now I'm going to give it all. I, I we got married. She came here to the United States. I said, I'm going to give all I have, all I've got. All I've got is hers. I will work as far as I can. Of course, we made mistakes. We came here financially broken, not, not having enough money, but, but we knew it together. We right. were together and we know it. We were struggling with financially, but we know it. And we're pushing through studying and pushing through to develop a career here. And, and, um, and, and my struggle here as a, as a married man, my struggle, I never committed adultery as a married man, but I struggled with, uh, online pornography. So I, I want to go there. I, I want to bring the timeline up to date. So Saturday you get married. Yep. Monday he says you got to leave the country. Yeah. Did you leave the country Tuesday? Mind, mind you that I had already been in the United States for one for about almost one year. My wife came later, so uh, we got to got married. I come back a few weeks later if I record. And then she comes back. She comes a, a, month, a few months later. So you were already kind of in a trajectory. Kind of trajectory. Country. Yes. Well, that was just a confirmation. Let's put it like this. It was a confirmation. You are in the trajectory should be. Just don't look back. Right. Because? Because whatever you left back here is destructive. That person you left back here, it's that line. That line was drawn by God. Don't come back here. And actually, <laughs> in, in that moment, did you say, God, help me draw this line? No, but I, 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 I said like I prayed. I said, today this stops. It has to stop today. It has to stop today. This man has to die today. This man has to die today. That's, that's amazing language to say that. So very shortly after getting married, you're both here in America. And how did you eventually come to Christ? So I... Working, so in America then, of course, we are all identity chasers, right? So if it's right. not one thing, it's another. Here it became work. I said, well, in this place, the land of opportunity where people are allowing me to pursue my research endeavors, I'm just going to work as hard as I can. And as I go through that, what happened was uh, that... Were it, you still carrying the guilt of the past Oh, yes. Year? Oh, yes. And uh, that guilt came. Uh, that guilt came a lot. It was flared up, especially when I had conversations back with my family mm. on the phone. It would trigger the whole thing. It would, would just trigger it. Or when I was in an environment that comments were made against that or towards those kind of, those kind of behavior, I would feel condemned right away. Mm. I would feel all, my conscience was condemned all the time. No peace whatsoever. But it was masked. It was kind of a bottled in. Sure. So I, let me hide this and, and and press forward. And so then pornography was was still an escape then for yes. you, like a, a release valve. Yes, very much. There was a relief valve from the pressure and from the conscious guilt, which was getting more damaged. But in a way, it was well. At least I'm not doing that physically. Hmm. And it wasn't, I'm assuming at that point in time, it wasn't even so much about the sex as it was about the guilt. Yeah, the and, guilt and release. And trying to get away from it. Yeah. Trying to get a, a break from the guilt and yeah. the strain. 
And for you, that release was pornography. Yeah, and you know, obviously, I was dealing with lust as well towards other women, but but that lust was contained, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. In Brazil, it was never contained, but it was contained somehow. But now you get married, and somehow, magically, mm-hmm. as if by magic, as if by magic, it was it was contained. There, there, as if by magic, there's somebody saying to me in my ears, uh, "Yeah, you're broken, but don't go there." Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would push for hard and hard enough. And uh, okay, I go. I go to pornography, but I but don't go there physically. Right. So what? Uh, where did you land first in in the, in the United States? Ames, Iowa. In Ames. Okay. Then so two years and a half there. Then most of my time here, our time here in Lincoln, since 2013 all the way to 2017, went to Utah for a year and a half, came back. In 18, and then uh, from 18 all the way to now. So you're you're here working, and it's been all at universities, correct? Yes, that's correct. And you're in this structure, um, yes. carrying this guilt, trying to do things right. There appears to be maybe a hand that's helped protecting your marriage mm-hmm. and guiding you. Um, when did you kind of what what led to you? Was it a, was it uh, a coworker. How did you end up encountering Christ? I, I think I had to be broken emotionally, psychologically, and physically. Emotionally and psychologically, I was already. Uh, I, I even joke that you get those questionnaires during grad school, and people ask you, "How are you doing? Are you doing well? Are you coping with pressure?" And I would lie on those questionnaires because I didn't want to see a psychologist and, mm. and talk to the through the truth of my life right. and say that, "Yeah, I'm broken here." And actually, there in grad school, there's a lot more pressure, and, and then you're pressured to perform and all of that. And but physically, I was not broken. Physically, just in the physical sense, no, just a, you know, a healthy young guy. Right. But then in 2019, I had an injury from running. Uh, that led to some chronic pain that I live with till today, lower back pain. And uh, and whatnot, and uh, that pushed me over the edge. But but it wasn't right away. It was in 2019, and then I went to treatments and treatments, and uh, and then 2020 came, COVID, if I'm not mistaken, and then and then and then there, my daughter was born in end of 2020. And there was that political issue in the end of 2020 in the United States. That pushed me, that was just a trigger that pushed me over the edge. That pushed me over the edge. And then the first week of January, uh, without talking to anybody, um, it's just like I can't, I can't say that it's a voice, but inside me it's a, you tried everything. Just go to the Bible. You tried everything. Go to the Bible. But at that time, science was an impediment to me. Mm. So the Lord was very specific. He gave me John Lennox, who is a Christian apolog- apologetics person. So I well, I ima- imagine the, the, hypo- the, the, the irony of that. I listened to a sermon that John Lennox gave in Madison, Wisconsin, that had been recorded a few years prior to that date. Oh, okay. And the, and the, the title of the, 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 the lecture, sermon, was Can a Scientist... Believe in the resurrection. How did you end up with that? I cannot even pinpoint to you because I didn't ask anyone. I did not ask anyone. There was a, 
It's like a, I met the Lord in the road of Damascus in that first week of January. And suddenly I, I went to YouTube and I ended up, I can't point to you how I ended up with John Lennox, but I ended up there in that particular lecture and, uh, and started listening to that lecture multiple times. I was just like obsessed with that, hmm. obsessed with that. And it was through John 1 that the Lord brought me in. It was in the beginning was the word. Hmm. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, I'll never forget because, because I said, oh, wow. He was there in the beginning. All was made through him. Hmm. Oh, that he hit me like a, like a truck. A few weeks later, my boss was my postdoc mentor, told me, you know, listen to John Piper as well. You may get some understanding of what the gospel grace is. Mm. But he just told me, listen to John Piper. And uh, I began listening on my own. Uh, a few weeks later, I told my wife, well, mind you, we're about to bring my sister to baptize my daughter in the Roman Catholic Church here. Mm. I told my wife, well, we're going to have to revisit that. Because I'm giving my life to Christ. And I don't think I should go back to the Roman Catholic Church. And obviously I don't have hatred of that. But as I'm right. stating to you where my state of mind was at the time. Right. And uh, and then a few weeks more passed. And my wife said, I don't know what, what, how to deal with that. But give me the stuff that you're listening to. And I'll listen as well. And then... So uh, you're... I mean, one, I just want to go to the moment like... In the beginning was the word. Yes. That he's been there the, your whole life. Yes. Through all of this. And all of a sudden he's here with you now. Mm. And that's what brought you just moments ago. Brought both of us. Um, at least to moist eyes. Yeah. Because of how he touched your heart at that moment. Oh. It was like... Um... I would listen to those verses as John Lennox was speaking and then and then and then thinking of it and then I finally I could rest and I could face who I was. You could rest that you've been looking for for decades now. Yes. And it just kept getting worse and worse. That's right. The peace kept getting further and further away. Yes. Guilt more and more, more unworthiness, more shame. Yes, more pretense. And all of a sudden, just like that, you felt rest. Felt rest. I was in the office that we have in the apartment. I would cry. I was, I was sobbing, crying, crying. I said, Lord, oh, rescue me. Just rescue me. I don't care about anything anymore. And that willingness from that moment of peace, that place of peace, you now are ready to be open and deal with what you've been trying to hide your entire life. That's right. And I was highly influenced. Uh, soon after that, 
I went to, there was another important moment. I went to First Free. That's where I went, First Free Evangelical Church here in town, Lincoln, Nebraska. I was baptized there, my wife and I. And in that moment, I went, it was resurrection, uh, Easter. And I went to the sermon and I would cry. And I would remember, but then it's amazing. I would remember all my grandmother from my mother's side had told me. Hmm. And she had, all the all the years that your grandmother was trying to pour into you, all of that just floods back. Similar, yes. like maybe a little meaningful at the time, but kind of not. Didn't really know what to do with it. Probably. Yeah. What does she know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And now all of a sudden. It all makes sense. All makes sense. It all fits. She was right all along. And uh and she was praying for me to come to Christ. Hmm. And in that moment I my wife didn't go to that sermon. I went by myself, sat on the on the back, and I was I will never forget the song He's uh He's waiting for you with his arms wide open. Oh, I could just I would just cry. Couldn't do anything. I just cry. And it was something that Danny Lamonte, the pastor there, who had begun recently, he said a few times, and Adam came out of the bushes. Mm. That was a dynamite. Wow. Come out of the bushes. Stop hiding. Stop hiding. Wow. The, The relief. The peace, the joy you must have felt. Yes. And you talk about tears and tears and tears and how many times you've cried. And and then so you're at this point where you want to dedicate your daughter to God, but you realize it's got to be something different. And you've now surrendered, you've encountered Christ, so the grace the forgiveness, the peace that comes with all of that. And your wife hasn't. And you're like, we need to do something different. And she's like, well, give me what you're getting. Cause I don't, I can't reconcile this. Did she see something in you that was changed? Yeah. She saw a, a, a powerful encounter with, with God thinking retrospectively, she said, I can't pretend that something has not happened to you, but I don't know how to deal with that. I need to understand it. And just giving uh, a quick snip on that, I don't think my wife was saved uh, or gave her life to Christ uh, at that moment with me. I think she knew Christ in God before. As we look back right now in her life, but she never had that. It's the relationship that was never forefront in her life Hmm. and then now as my life is transformed her relationship with Christ mind you she's dealing with uh, panic attacks anxiety from uh, just work and stuff being stressed out and and then we go together through this journey in that first year of me you know speaking to people, saying who I was and all of that, and she's facing all those things. Uh, that's when that's when we together met Christ. That was a, mm. the power of Christ was because we're both broken. She was broken for different reasons uh, until she got to know all the truth as well and yeah. and, and got in the rock bottom. And, and having to work through 
that this man she married was not the man she married. I can't imagine how hard that was. Uh, it's it, it was a process. It's uh, a process, and uh, and I remember going to coffee coffee shops and reading the Bible, eating my Bible, and 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 praying. And and the more I would confess to people, I, I even texted a woman that I had betrayed my wife with back in Brazil to ask for forgiveness. Uh, I told my story to my father, my mom, my siblings, anybody who could hear. Uh, to to give the testimony of Christ, to give the testimony of transformation. So so you are now going back and broadcasting yeah. all of your failures, all of the things that you did wrong, all your betrayals, your past affairs, and all of that. You're telling everybody about that. Everybody, everybody. And the influence- does that seem like in the world that seems crazy? Why would I ever, unless I'm run running for public office, and even then. Why would I ever open up my closet and start throwing skeletons out? It was because of the peace and the joy that that is in Christ. Uh, And and because, in a way, I know that they don't have that peace either because the brokenness in their lives. And uh, and I say, and and as I was listening to people, there was another person who came along from things online. There's a a man down in the south, Robbie Gallat, a pastor there, who went through a powerful transformation as well. And he gave his testimony multiple times. And I listened to that. I said, you know what? When I was, and that was my thought process. When I was without Christ, I was a hypocritical, uh, uh, self-destructive person. Now with Christ, this has to be open. This has to be open for people to see who Christ is, who God is, this loving Father, and the power that is in there. And by his... letting people know how dark your life was, yes. they now see the light yes. that's in you. I used to say to my wife, uh, Christ is uh, diametrically opposed to our, to our darkness. So anytime uh, I point to, I show my darkness to people, I point to that light, the only light that can break through that darkness. So the two of you, what I kind of heard you say a moment ago was, you're encountering and growing in your knowledge of Christ, knowledge of the grace of God, that unconditional love that you didn't get from your dad. Now you're finding it in God, in the, in the Father in heaven, and you're doing it with your wife at the same time and growing together. What has that been like for your marriage? That has been a, a journey of ups and downs for three years now since I gave my life to Christ. Ups and downs because, you know, I, again, that personality of going tense after things and trying to understand what it is and then trying to preach to my wife the road we should follow. And with the different kind of uh, theological bands you can find in different churches and all of that, we struggle through that. But we never, uh, let's say, we've been honest to each other. Uh, of what we're thinking, uh, of there were there were divisions in a way to go forward, but we never went away from each other. We always said, okay, we're gonna try this, we're gonna try that, and we're gonna go together. I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna study scripture, and along the way, also we've had a lot of people who spoke into our lives to help us. Hmm. That's awesome. So I think um, one thing I want to say before yeah. you go is that. <clears throat> The walk of Christ is uh, um, it's it's a it's a it's a messy walk, right? Because we're messy. Yeah, we are. And but there's a lot of grace for that. 
And uh, until I had a healthy understanding and experience of that grace, uh, the walk can be very head-driven, head-knowledge-driven, uh, but it can also be uh, trying to get things right. I think in all of that, there's going to be learning. Right. Uh, the most important thing I've found so far is that uh, those one-on-one interactions that people who speak in your life, and if you're open to listen to that, even if it doesn't have an effect right away, it will have an effect. They're like seeds. Yes, they are. And God waters them. Yeah. He nurtures them until they come to fruition. Yes. And I've, I've the people I've met in this town across different congregations, you see the grace of God when people are just patient. They know you're drifting. They know you're struggling. They know you're not telling them that you're truly struggling to understand things. But they're there. Mm-hmm. And they're never, you know, I've, we've had many people across this city blessed in many ways that they were always there. Hmm. You can come back here. It's okay. We'll listen to you. Isn't that amazing? It's incredible. That is Christ in them. Yes. That is not. That's not a human trait. No. That's uh, that's Christ in action. That's uh, uh, grace is for action. Right. You know, um, we go and I, and I had uh, had a well. The first podcast that we published was uh, was Graham Stanford, and a lot of what he talks about is Christ in you. And that that you can't do it yourself, but Christ can, and He can do it in you and through you, and that surrendering. And um, we had another conversation with him and, and another uh, another pastor um, that we've not released the podcast yet, but we will hear sh- soon about what is that like that Christ in you, and what you've encountered is people who have Christ in them, um, and that kind of brings me here to. to kind of what I think should be the preeminent question in this podcast, um, a podcast called Who is God? Carlos, would you share with me and with with the listeners, who is God to you? Yes, and before we start speaking this, uh, the Lord gave me an answer. I'm the dad he never had. Hmm. So I knew my heart that that was... Throughout this conversation, that's the answer, because the Lord is the dad I've ever had, and the one I want to be. And I know I cannot be perfect, but the gracious man I want to be to my kids. Hmm. He is the father of the fatherless. But you said, (laughs) right, he is the father of the fatherless. He says that, but to you personally, he is now taken a role, an active role in your life, and he is a dad, a real-life relationship, not just an ethereal idea, but a real life. He is a dad that you go to, that you can have that relationship that says, Carlos, I love you. I accept you exactly as you are. I will, um, I'll guide you in places you need guiding. I'll correct you where you need corrected but I'm going to do it in a way that you know that I love you and I care about you and which, I accept you. Which I, in my experience through conversations with people and the kingdom of God in action, right, in work and marriage and all of that, is, my experience has been how gentle and lowly the Lord is, how patient he is to to build that meekness in you. 
to help you see things that you're not seeing. See people, you know, see people creating an image of God. You know, and when you're able to look at the eye of a person and say, you know, I see you. Hmm. I really see you. I don't want to fix you. I don't want to change you. Uh, I don't want to convert you. I see you. Mm. I've I've been seen seen like that. Yeah. I've been loved like that. I am loved like that. Uh, there's another phrase that I like to use to myself is becoming truly beloved. Uh, and the truly there is very important. It's not an idea. Right. It's 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 a, it's a transformation. I'm reading a book right now that talks about that name that God will give us someday. Um, and looking at the names that he gave, you know, Abraham from Abram, Sarah from Sarai, and, and how he would name even Jacob becoming Israel, mm. you know, as, as wrestles with God, trusts God. I uh, I've started to wonder, and the book causes us, you know, and, and, and invites you to question: What is the name that God has for you? Hmm. That name that He'll whisper in your ear. And I wonder for you hmm. if that name's not beloved son. Yes. The other word that came to mind right away was joy. Hmm. Just joy. Well, Carlos, I am touched. I'm encouraged. You know, um, you and I first crossed paths very early on, uh, shortly after you'd given your life to Christ, um, and we've we've been blessed to cross paths multiple times since. And it's been very encouraging to continue to see your pursuit of God and to see that He has shown up in meaningful ways for you, and to hear that uh, that He is becoming that Father, that Dad a more intimate term than than father, that he's the dad that you never had. Yes. Um, as I continue this uh, uh, pursuit of God and uh, the this transformation and continue my path in academia, I am uh, I'm joyful to reunite my the science that I do and to be joyful in his wonders of creation mm. and to speak of his love to people as I'm doing that as well. So we're, as you know, we're living in town. We're going to Ohio to work at the Ohio state university. That's where I, the Lord is leading us. I got a job there as an assistant professor. So very mm. joyful, very pleasing. Wow. Um, tomorrow is, uh, is my last day here. And, uh, this is just incredible. The journey I had in this place, I was reconstructed in the United States hmm. as a person. And now I think he is going to take you and your wife with what he has birthed here, and he's going to plant you there, and I, I think you're going to flourish. Oh, and thank you. I look forward to hearing that. Um, the fact that you're leaving town, I'm a little, I'm a little saddened. Um, maybe that's coming through my voice a little bit, but I'm also excited for that um, he started the work in your life. 
and he will continue it until he is done with what he has for you. Yes. Um, one thing I want to say before is because, you know, I can't give credit to all the people who have poured into my life, but I want to say something about uh, another person who, is, uh, who has, been, has, has had a tremendous impact in my life. is Pastor Clark from Berean. Mm -hmm. He showed me grace and how from every page of the Bible you can get grace. And that's been amazing. Every page in the Bible you can get grace. Yeah. That is amazing. Well, thank you, Carlos, for being here. And uh, I know you still have some packing to do. And reluctantly, I'll let you get to it. So thanks for joining us. This has been the Who is God podcast. I'm Thaddeus Funk. My guest today has been Carlos Gomez, as he has shared the story of God being a father to the fatherless and a dad to someone who never had a dad. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Who is God podcast. Join the discussion on Facebook or Instagram. This podcast has been brought to you by Tacklebox Studios. Tacklebox Studios is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation. This podcast has been made possible by generous support from individuals like you. If you found this meaningful, please let us know. Donations can be mailed to Tacklebox Studios, 285 South 68th Street Place, Suite 320, Lincoln, Nebraska, 68510.